Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Hello, I am Nathan Wolf, and I am a former AAA game dev veteran, and I have gone indie, and this talk is about me receiving my first indie paycheck, and hopefully it'll give you some insight on what to expect, uh, selling a small indie game, um, maybe some things that could be done better, and uh, just sort of maybe a bit of a reality check, hopefully somewhat entertaining and informative. So... I worked in the AAA industry for about 10 years. I worked at Ubisoft, the Red Storm studio of Ubisoft, and I worked on things like Far Cry 3, Far Cry 4, Ghost Recon Future Soldier, a couple little projects that got, uh, well, can't talk about those, I don't think. But um, yeah, so then I went over to Bosky Productions, the studio that Cliff Bozinski started up, and it was a smaller studio, and we worked on Lawbreakers, uh, which unfortunately didn't do too well. And then we went and made Radical Heights as kind of a try to do a quick turnaround early access game to save the studio, but that didn't quite pan out. And I decided to go indie after that. I didn't really want to go back to a big studio. So I decided to go indie, take my years of experience, and make my own thing. And um, this is my tale, I guess. <laughs> So, when I started, um, I went through a couple different ideas and iterations of game ideas to do. The first one, the scope, the more I thought about it, just became bigger and bigger. And I was like, nope, cut that off before I even started. I got to do something a bit smaller. So I decided to go with a game where it's just kind of a simple platformer where you move around and punch stuff. And... Fast forward two and a half years, um, that game is still probably not even at the halfway point. Uh, that game is called Fist of the Forgotten, by the way. You know, it's it, even the smallest ideas end up taking way longer than you expect. So I finally decided to give in to the pressure. Uh, a lot of people have been bugging me to do some game jams and stuff. So the last Ludum Duray... I decided to jump in on that and say, you know, maybe it's a good idea to do a small game, just put it out there, um, kick it off with a game jam, and then expand it, and if it's interesting, put it out for sale, and kind of go through the process of releasing a game, selling a game, seeing what pitfalls I run into, so that when I go to release Fist of the Forgotten, which I've put years of effort into, it hopefully does not fall flat on its face. So... I worked on a little game called Goop Loop, 
and people liked it. It did pretty well in the game jam. The basic premise was, well, the, the theme of the jam was stuck in a loop. So I was like, what if I take that literally and just make a literal loop and you have just some sort of blob of something that sticks to the loop and then you try to use physics to roll it around. So I was like, yeah, goop in a loop, goop loop, sure. And I made that, like I said, it, would, it did pretty well in the, in the game jam and uh, several people commented that they wanted to see a full version of it, you know, an extended version and they'd pay good money for it and all that stuff. So I was like, all right, full throttle on this. Let's let's build this, get it out, put it in early access, ASAP. These people that wanted to play this game, they can grab it on Steam. And my thinking was, I'll just make it, you know, I'll work on it for a couple weeks and put it out there and sell it for a dollar or two and move on. Um I started getting a little bit attached to it. So I put it out in early access as quickly as possible. And there was kind of a minimum of a, I think it's like a month period or something like that between like uh, creating your Steam page and when you can actually put a live product out there. So, you know, I had a month. I was working on it like one day a week. I was still trying to focus primarily on Fist of the Forgotten. I didn't want to get distracted. You know how easy it is to see the next shiny thing when you're working on a video game. You're like, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. And then you never get anything done. So I was trying to stay focused as much as possible on Fist of the Forgotten, but set aside a little bit of time to work on Goop Loop. So I get it out. Um, and sales were, you know, about what I expected. Uh I don't know if any of you have seen, I believe there was a Gamma Sutra article. It might be in several places, but uh, there's a chart that shows the sales or at least the uh, approximate guesstimations of how much income they believe different projects make. And the really depressing thing about that is once you start getting like under about 95%, like the return starts dropping off very rapidly. And if you look at like the average or even median points, especially the median points, not necessarily the average, uh, but if you look at like the median sales, it's like, you know, pretty abysmal. So uh, I wish I had that chart handy. I couldn't find it right before the presentation, but maybe I can track it down later. And so I kind of knew what I was expecting um, jumping into this, but I was hopeful because the game itself is kind of along the lines of something like Getting Over It or Jump King or Pogo Stuck, one of those rage games that's kind of fun to watch streamers play as they try to finagle the physics and get things to work and then fall down and get frustrated. So I thought there was a small chance that maybe it would really take off, but uh, it didn't. So let me go in and go ahead and start sharing some of the numbers here. Um, let's, sorry, just gotta select my screen here. I believe it's this one. Yeah, all right. So uh, here are the charts. I wanna be completely open 
I try to be completely open with everything game dev that I do. So I am live streaming my game on Twitch, twitch.tv slash jitsbo. If you ever want to watch that, I'm doing it pretty much every weeknight, doing game dev stuff. So, um, and, you know, I try to be as open as I can with numbers and anything Steam lets me show. Uh, a lot of stuff is confidential, but there's nothing that says this is confidential. So hopefully this is good to share. Anyway. Here are the numbers. So, first day. Oh, I should. I completely neglected to mention the the price point that I put this at. I think I mentioned that I was trying to sell it for one or two dollars. And one of the things that I was kind of curious about. I've seen some indie devs that have been successful with the approach of almost like a shotgun approach of releasing lots of little games for like a dollar. And I was thinking maybe it would be easier to make a lot of small games rather than make one large game that you spend years on and you've basically got all your eggs in one basket. And if you try to sell one large game for $20, are you more or less likely to succeed than if you sell $21 games or $10, $2 games? So I ended up kind of going in the middle between um, $1 and something more. Put it out at $2 initially. And so here's the sales. First day, $20 or 20, 20 sales, and then rapidly drops off. So... Like, got the initial sales uh, from people that had been following me and whatnot. And boom, very, very quickly down to the one one to three copies a day. So daily average is about two copies. And fortunately, some of my uh, community members went and talked to a bunch of streamers and tried to get um, get it in front of a bunch of people. One guy, uh, his name is Wow Jinxy. He was talking to some of the big streamers and said he got it in front of the eyes of uh, maybe 10,000 people. I think that was, you know, counting the viewers and stuff. I don't think he went to 10,000 different streamers. But got a few got a few sales off of that. But it's, you know, still pretty abysmal, especially when you're thinking this is a $2 game. So $14 worth of sales here. Uh, not a whole lot. And and that was after, you know, pretty significant efforts on his part. And this spike over here was from a streamer that I know I'd rated in the past when he first started streaming. And he was super appreciative of me rating him, kind of jump-starting his community. And so as soon as, uh, you know, I mentioned the game was out to him, he, like, bought a copy, was playing it on stream, bought a bunch of copies for friends... Some of his viewers were buying copies, so got a got a nice little jump there. And the interesting thing is, um, we had another streamer, a bigger streamer, who had about 140 viewers during this stream. So not a massive streamer, but uh, you know, larger than any of the other people that I got in the stream at in the past. And I just put out a new update. Um, and I thought this was going to be, you know, great. Like, she was getting really into it. Uh, everyone was, you know, super enthusiastic. And on that date, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is, but there were zero sales. Like, it did not, at least immediately, get anybody to buy the game. So it's it's really frustrating when you put all of this effort into communicating with people... Um, you know, various forms of uh, 
like talking to press or influencers or what have you, all these different marketing strategies and just get absolutely nothing in return. It can be really discouraging. So, um, you know, that's sometimes even when it thinks like, even when it seems like everything is going great, these numbers, uh, maybe you're not going to turn out so great. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, the Steam charts are really frustrating because they don't show when there's zero sales. They just kind of draw a line. So some of these dates have no sales, and it just sort of skips them. So, you know, some of these things, like between here and here, there are no sales. And it looks like you've got a constant set of sales, you know, two copies a day for like a week, and really you only sold, like a couple here and there. So that is uh, kind of frustrating on Steam's part. I should probably, I don't know if I can bug them about that and see if they can improve these charts. And it would be kind of nice. Like, if you're selling really well, this is not something most people are, I mean, like the, the big game devs are going to worry about. For But for us lowly indie devs that are struggling to sell a few copies a week, like, it would be nice to at least get a visual representation of that. So, after all that, I was realizing that trying to sell a game at $2 a pop, the amount of effort that went in to, even if, even if we completely disregard the development cost of actually making the games, the time spent making the game, and I were to, if I already had a game and was 100% spending my time talking to streamers and doing other forms of marketing like the return on investment on just that time alone was not sufficient. So between that and the fact that I'd actually worked on the game longer than I initially intended to and added a lot more content to it, I decided to bump the price up. So I doubled the price. I went from $2 to $4. You can see where the sales and the price splits over here. Um, it doesn't seem like it's made a significant difference one way or the other. If anything, sales have gone down. But what I'm hoping is this will allow me to put the game on sale. And if I do like a 50% 50% discount, I might get a lot of people that had the game wishlisted jumping on it. Because, you know, everyone loves a good deal. And I would still be making what I made initially. So, um... But as for my first paycheck, what this talk is about, uh, the first electronic wire transfer or whatever that came through from Valve um, actually came through on the second month because they have a limit of $100 before they even bother doing the transaction. It's pretty common in a lot of these things because of transactional fees and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't even get anything the first month the second month, I got uh, $128.44, which, when I subtract the Steam listing fee, then becomes basically $28.44. So, development costs versus, um, versus profits. Excellent question. So, the... 
development costs, uh, I spent about 25 days so far on the game, which, um, if I were to look at that from just a pure cost of living standpoint, which for me is about $30,000 a year, uh, the development cost of that time, you know, that's, that's like the, the bare, the bare minimum is about $3,000. The, if I were to like pay myself a reasonable salary, that would actually be more like eight to $10,000. And if you look at the total gross revenue here, 378, that's before Valve takes their cuts. So I'm only going to get 70% of that. Um, and that's also not counting time trying to market the game and stuff. I'm just going off the numbers of the actual dev days where I've streamed it. So I think I'm on my 26th day there. So yeah, that's um, hmm, maybe over a long tail if I stop development on this. And, you know, it, it would take many, many years to recoup that cost. As for the price points, I was initially thinking I just want to get this out as quickly as possible. Make a... Um, just make a game, get it out there, sell it for like a dollar. I was thinking... I was aiming super low. I was like, this game, as it was at the Ludum Dre version, took about 10 minutes to complete. And I was like, maybe I can extend that to 30 minutes or something, an hour, depending on... Um, you know, how, what, what all I do with it, but I wasn't expecting it to be really long. I was like, just knock this out really quickly. Uh, but like I said, I, I kept expanding it the way it, as the game stands now, it takes maybe about four or five hours to complete, which is actually a lot longer than I expected. It varies vastly depending on the, the skill. Like if you're really good at the game, you can beat it sub five minutes. But uh, first playthroughs usually take four or five hours if people complete it at all, because it is a pretty challenging game. So, um, yeah. As for what I would do differently, so the things that um, I, I think I, I rushed way too much on this. Like, my thinking was, let me take this game that people, some people were hyped about during the Ludum Duray Game Jam, and let me get it out to them as soon as possible, get it out in early access, and iterate on it, build it up, keep adding content until I think it's like, you know, a solid shippable product, and then call it done and maybe just move on from there. Um, but I think that was bad because it didn't, it didn't give Steam time to accumulate the wish lists and some other things that impact the uh the algorithms for whether or not your game's shown and if you're if your game doesn't make the cut for that like new and trending list like it's it's almost just dead in the water basically the only way people know about it is if you directly interact with them which is why it's really important to build up a community. So that's one thing where I feel like I'm probably above average in as far as indie 
developers go. You know, a lot of people are either fresh out of college or what have you, and they don't have, um, like, a fan base or anything built up. Not that I necessarily have a fan base, but I stream development every day, and I also have some people that have followed me from games and stuff that I've worked on in the past. So I've got 7,000 followers on Twitch, uh, about 1,500 on Twitter, and I recently started using TikTok to uh, gain some visibility, and I've got about 1,000 followers on that. And I feel like that's, you know, not fantastic numbers, but probably above average when you look at a lot of indie devs. And almost all of my sales came from either people that I directly interacted with or people that... Uh, you know, people that were in my community, people that I contacted directly. Sometimes I, I went to streamers that I didn't know before or people that um, were in my community and talked to streamers and convinced them to buy the game or, you know, friends and streamers and whatnot. And it's like you have to have that large grassroots base in order to get any kind of traction anymore. And the larger that base is, the better. So... I need to work on building that up. Um, oh, I also have a Discord server that's got about 300 people on it. <laughs> that is an excellent question. So I am, I'm kind of on the same boat as far as uh, content goes. That um, when... You know, I was working on Fist of the Forgotten, and it's like each each level takes a ton of time and only a few seconds to go through. Whereas Goop Loop, uh, it was a game jam game, so I just threw things together as quickly as possible, and I was like, all right, let me find, like, when you're under that time crunch, you find interesting things. Like, I was like, there's got to be, there's got to be some kind of way for me to build these platforms. In fact, let me actually just launch the game really quick here. Um, so you guys have an idea of what the game is. Uh, let's see. Uh oh. Hang on. Does not seem to like the full screen view. Let's turn that off. Alright, there we go. So, this is Goop Loop. Um, you know, the, the level design is very simple. I've got some splines that kind of define the geometry. And you just roll around here. And that's that's one of the things where I was saying, like, when I'm under the time crunch, you know, if I were developing this in my own time, I probably would have gone about, you know, hand-placing a bunch of grass blades or something stupid like that. Uh, but I found a nice add-on that somebody made for Godot, which is the game engine that I'm using, and it just let me, like, place some splines and define these large areas of um, level, so, you know, I'm able to just quickly whip something together, and, um, you know, I can, I can quickly build all these levels out. And like I said, it, it varies It varies based on the skill of the player. So somebody playing the game for the first time 
they are struggling with the mechanics. They're trying to figure out how to move because it's it's not like any other platformer really because it's all physics based. So your goop jumps around and you're trying to get this loop to roll and people are you know going all over the place and you know it could take 30 minutes to get up this hill where in a traditional platformer you know it, you just you just run and jump up it so that's that's one of the reasons why um, it can take several hours to complete the game whereas in a traditional one uh, you know, you have to build out a lot more content if people are familiar with the controls and can run through it a lot faster. And I'm sorry if I've missed some questions that have popped up over here. Uh, it my my thing is way over on this side. So I pretty much went and launched in early access as soon as I could which was about a month after the um, the Steam page was created. So right after Lunar Ray, I was like, all right, put the Steam page up and set a launch date as soon as I could. I actually messed up because I didn't send a build for them to review. So it got delayed by like a week or something like that. But it was it was less than two months from... Steam page creation to early access launch. And that brings up um, so marketing is not my strong suit. Um, I contacted so in the initial launch um, I got a, um, a a press um launch thing I, I can't remember what it's called uh, but um, you know to send out to the press and um, not a, I mean I did have a press kit but um, my mind my mind is blanking on the the term for the uh, the game press type thing that all all the uh, news sites can go and grab stuff from I only got a couple bites on that uh, yeah, press release. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I got uh, a couple bites on that. Um, you know, a few news places published it. Not a whole lot. I had a community, you know, from my streaming and Discord. Uh, I posted some news posts on the Ludum DeRay page. And I replied to the people in my comments that wanted a full version of the game. Um, yeah, contact, tried to contact, uh, some various influencers and stuff, but it, it was, it was pretty difficult to get bites on a lot of that stuff. It's not, you know, if your game is not like the shiny new thing, there's so many games out there. Everyone's so busy and so pressed for time that on the surface, like, just looking at Goop Loop, I don't think there was a lot that enticed people to check it out. Uh, which is why I went and added some, like, I think when I had the game playing, you could see the uh, the faces and stuff. The original launch of the game did not have anything. It was just it was just the Goop and the Loop, and I tweaked the art and stuff. A pretty substantial improvement over what I had in the Ludum Dray version of the game, but. 
I made some various tweaks to try to make it more enticing. And I think that was somewhere around this area, and it didn't didn't really make much of a difference um, as far as you know getting getting new bites on the game. But yeah, I also had Twitter, so I was posting lots of updates on Twitter. Um, and recently, I've been posting videos on TikTok, uh, which has been pretty decent as far as getting like new followers and getting some eyes on it but they don't seem to be turning around the sales really well so like I've pretty rapidly climbed up to a thousand followers on TikTok and I think part of the problem is that platform is you know it's designed to keep people glued to it so they see something they're like oh cool that's that's kind of neat and then they move on and forget about it. Uh, I did have a couple people mention that they wanted a mobile version of the game, so that might be a more viable marketing location for mobile. Speaking of mobile, yeah, you had, that that question did pop up. Uh, so I, the mobile market honestly terrifies me, like just the sheer amount of stuff that goes on in there and how difficult it is to get visibility. Like, I feel like it, as difficult as it is to get visibility on Steam, it's like a hundred times more difficult on the mobile market. Although I haven't actually launched anything on mobile, so I don't know. Uh, I am probably going to look into, once I feel like I've got this um, a little more wrapped up, look into making a mobile version of the game, adding some touch controls, and see if a mobile platform launch does any better. That is something I'm considering exploring. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. like it is steam definitely so the, the thing with steam is there is a hurdle that you have to get over and that is to get on the new and trending list because if you just exist in steam pretty much nobody finds you unless they're explicitly looking for you and you need to get up on the lists where people just casually browsing through steam will see your game but it's a huge risk to put the kind of budget and time into making like a triple I game or whatever you want to call it, like a high tier indie game. Because if that fails, like the hit is going to be that much harder.
Uh, let's still stream the dev of my next game if my current one is a success when I release. I would like to be completely open with the whole streaming process, the whole development process. Like, I think sharing information and expectations and all that stuff is healthy and interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Sorry about all the background noise. It, everyone's trying to mow their lawn or something out there. I don't know. Um, I, I personally don't worry too much about ideas getting stolen because there's just so many ideas out there that everyone has an idea and it's really more about the execution. So even if someone tries to use similar ideas to what I've done, like if they don't do the execution well, um, you know, it's not going to be a great game. But I, I don't know. I That's just, uh, that's just kind of my personal take on it. Like everyone wants to make these cool games. They have all these cool ideas, but the actual execution of it is really what makes or breaks the game, I think. So my plan at the moment is, I've, unless this somehow really takes off, I don't know that it's worth spending a whole lot more time developing Goop Loop. Uh, my plan is to work on this for a little while longer, finish all the things that I feel like absolutely need to be done to consider it complete. Like. Last night, I just worked on adding key rebinds because I feel like that is kind of a must-have feature. Even though a lot of games don't have that, I still feel like that's a must-have feature. So things like that to make the game feel complete. Um, and then I'll probably go until uh, maybe the next Ludum Duray game jam. And then I'll maybe switch gears and do a different game that I work on like one day a week while still trying to keep focused on Fist of the Forgotten. And since... Uh, what sort of posts work well for any devs on TikTok? So I think, like... You know, kind of honest and open and sort of show your humanity type posts seem to work well on TikTok. Um... Also, just, you know, showing cool stuff. Like, TikTok is relatively new, and there's a lot of younger creators and stuff on there. And so if you can show something really impressive and cool and be like, hey, I'm working on this game, check out all this cool stuff I did, then a lot of people are like, oh, that's a lot more interesting than, you know, this person over there dancing or whatever. And you'll get some followers and some interests. Um... You know, I would just say the the thing that's cool about TikTok is that unlike Twitter or YouTube or a lot of these other platforms, you don't have to have a massive base that you build up before your posts actually start getting a lot of eyes on them. Their algorithm's set up to where you can post something and it can go viral. Your very first post ever on TikTok has the potential to go viral. I don't know exactly how the algorithm works, but it seems like they show it to a few people, and if those people like it, then they show it to more people, and then it kind of blows up. So um, you can, even if it's your first post, you can take some time and make 
a nice little video and it'll have the chance to um you know go viral or at least see i think the first video i posted had around 300 views and it was just me doing something silly like braiding my hair into my beard uh <laughs> so then i started posting uh some other stuff and then um my most recent post about the game i think got about a thousand views uh i had one post that had about four thousand views i think that was about my highest one so getting pretty decent view numbers compared to some of the other platforms i'm on but like i say those are not really converting over into sales just yet but i'm hoping the the more platforms i talk about it on and the more times people see it the more likely it is that people will um buy it so even if they don't buy it the first time they saw it you know if, if they see it on somebody's stream and they see it on tiktok and they see it on twitter then it's going to increase the chance that they'll actually pull the trigger on it because most people have to see something multiple times or hear about something multiple times before they'll actually commit to buying it. So I think marketing on multiple different platforms is healthy because if you happen to get that person that catches it in multiple different locations, then they, uh, they're a lot more likely to pull the trigger. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, I'll get to your question in just a second, um, is the, let's see. That was the wrong window. Sorry. There we go. Wanted to go to the wish list numbers here real quick. Because uh, um, I'd heard a stat that, you know, you can expect roughly 50% of your wish lists in sales. And I think that that kind of held true here. So you can see I've got 392 wish list editions. And this is kind of in the period that... Um, when I when I went out in early access. So over here, you know, I got 185 sales. And so only 46 of those came from um, people that had it on their wish list. And then the rest of them came from people that either bought it directly or what have you. Uh, so um, just wanted to comment on that, that that is kind of, you know, maybe a, a decent rough estimation. So if you've got like a thousand wish lists, maybe you can expect about 500 sales. Um, the thing I found kind of interesting here is that my my Goop Loop wish lists during this period outdid my Fist of the Forgotten wish lists. Uh, but I guess when the game launches, it probably gets some more uh, organic Steam traffic. So more people probably saw it during this period, or saw a goop loop than Fist of the Forgotten. Anyway, sorry. Um, what was that uh, last question? Could you pop that up again? It's way harder to get visibility on mobile unless you do UA or have a featuring from store. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my, uh, my take as well. And I'm I'm almost wondering if going to mobile it would be better to look into getting a publisher that 
maybe has contacts and strings to pull to be able to get those kinds of features and stuff. Looks like my tags are not complete. Uh, I did. I think I had to use the tag wizard in order to set the tags. That's interesting. I'll have to look at that. Thanks for checking that. Because they, they made me go through... I think when I set up the Fist of the Forgotten page, I was able to just set the tags. But when I created the Goop Loop page, they actually put me through some kind of wizard thing or something like that. So, Goop Loop was a Loot and Ray game jam. That's something I kind of came up with on the spot. And people liked the gameplay, so I decided to push forward on that. The idea for Fist of the Forgotten, um, that was me trying to do something that was kind of in my wheelhouse as far as character movement goes. So, like... I, I'm super familiar with character movement more in the first and third person shooter um, genres, but I was like, well, yeah, I, first person shooter is probably a bit out of scope for my first indie project, so I thought a platformer and then taking some of the stuff that I learned working in shooters and bringing that to the platformer space would be pretty cool. So that game has a lot of nice fluid movement, sliding and jumping and punching and uh, grappling and things like that. So that's why I decided to do that one. I wasn't necessarily doing market research. I know that's... It's it's a struggle because there's the... You can make a game... I mean, ideally you find a game that, it, that fits into the realm of what people want and is also something that you can feasibly complete and it's something you want to do. You got to have that that Venn diagram where all those things overlap. Uh, Fist of the Forgotten was originally supposed to be my small indie project to sort of kind of kickstart it. My plan was to jump in, do a smaller project, a little platformer, and as time goes on, um, work up to bigger and bigger projects. That may have been a, a foolish idea. I was like. Well, I'll, I'll start with something small that will hopefully I can get done within a couple of years and then that will bring in enough money to let me do larger projects. Um, reality, maybe that is not necessarily going to be the case. Uh, let's see, that was the same question I was just responding to. So, what experience from AAA helped me when I went on my own? Um, hmm. There's a lot of stuff that goes into game development. Uh, I think it, it it's fairly different when you go, when you're doing AAA development. And one of the things, it's kind of a blessing or curse depending on your point of view. I'm the type of person who likes to do tons of different stuff. So being pigeonholed into one very, very specific like subset of a subset of game development was not really my thing. So I was a gameplay programmer, and I did gameplay programming for like 10 years. But that didn't let me kind of express my artistic, creative uh, 
muscles and game design and other things like that. But it did get me familiar with jumping through various engine code bases, quickly figuring things out. Um, and there's a lot of little things that are probably very difficult for me to specifically say that I've just picked up over the years and kind of take for granted. But a lot of the experience that I got from that time was with character movement, a lot of the math involved with character movement, how to avoid frame rate dependent issues, um, how to smooth collisions and, you know, just make the character flow through the world very well. So I can take a lot of that stuff and apply it to an indie game and make it like a really, really solid uh experience as far as the character moving around in the world and a lot of stuff that i picked up also came from my days modding so i did a lot of stuff modding quake and quake 2 and then um so in the in the modding days i was doing all kinds of different stuff doing modeling and leveling the design and stuff like that so that was really helpful in the indie world but when i got out and I was doing everything on myself, I had to pick up and learn so many things. Uh, had done very little as far as like sound design, almost no animation. Uh, I'd done some modeling, but it was fairly limited. So I'd picked up Blender and learned a whole lot of stuff in that process. And it was really neat to see the development tools and stuff grow along with my process. Like, the open source tools and community have been just going crazy lately, and it's been pretty awesome. Yes, Goop Loop was also made in the Godot engine. So my first project was Fist of the Forgotten, and that was made in 3D. I can give you guys a, a quick glimpse of that here. Uh, so you can kind of see... what a game that I've been working on for a little while longer looks like. Let me just restart it at the beginning. So this game was made in Godot and I'm using pretty much all 3D assets. Um... So, you know, it, it takes a lot longer to build these scenes and stuff because I'm doing a lot more detail. Godot uh, is, is really nice for doing quick 2D stuff, too. Um, so when I did the Game Jam thing, I was like, I haven't actually done much in the way of 2D in Godot, so I wanted to try doing some 2D stuff. So I did Goop Loop entirely in their 2D engine. Well, they're I say 2D engine, they're kind of... It's all one engine. You can kind of do some stuff interchangeably. But yeah, Goop Loop is great for just rapid prototyping, uh, smaller scope projects. I can't say how great it is for like a very large scale project because I haven't tried doing a super large scale project. Fist of the Forgotten is probably one of the more ambitious projects made in the Godot engine. And it works really well for that. Uh, there are some issues if you're doing, like, uh, say, a first-person shooter where you have a whole bunch of 3D stuff. They don't have some built-in culling things. 
But for a 2.5D platformer, it's perfect. And um, they're doing a lot of stuff in the new version of Godot to improve the rendering times and other things. So it's really neat to see what's going on with that. Definitely an engine worth checking out. Oh, I, I, I mean, if nothing else, it has been a very valuable process from the learning side of things. Like I've learned so much over these past few years, just, uh, doing, being forced to do everything myself. And a lot of that is applicable in other areas. So I would definitely say it's worth it. Um, I, I would almost recommend, I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend this. I, I feel like ideal, the ideal scenario would be to get a job, um, and do this kind of stuff kind of on the side rather than try to jump in doing it full time or get a job, build up a lot of money in savings and then try to do this because like I was showing earlier, the, the sales numbers just just not super great. Uh, there's some people that will, you know, succeed and do really well, but the vast majority... And I don't want to like sound like I'm discouraging people from doing this. Just, I just want people to have realistic expectations that, you know, don't gamble something you can't afford to lose in hopes that your dream game will come to fruition and it'll blow up and you'll be a millionaire. Like the reality is for the vast majority of indie devs, uh, you're lucky if you are able to just cover the costs of living for the time you spent making the game. But hopefully um, things will go better with Fist of the Forgotten and possibly uh, Goop Loop. I'll be able to find some ways to market that more actively. Uh, there's, there's a few things I'd like to explore. Um, you know, maybe getting a publisher and publishing it in different regions or on different platforms. Uh, since the game is pretty close to done, there might be some publishers that would jump in on that. So I think if you're if you're going to do the indie thing, you should probably be in one of three scenarios. One, you've got the financial um, sort of runway to run through a project and have it fail. And two, you've got a full or part-time job that's enough to cover your cost of living and you do the indie stuff on the side. Or uh, three, you get a publisher to back the development costs so that you can, you know, focus on developing and not have to worry about putting food on the table. So that's, that's kind of my takeaway here. Um, I'm in the second category where I worked for over 10 years and built up a pretty large pool of savings so that I could do this indie thing full time. If it works out, great. If not, then I will have to go back to um, some other studio or do some other thing. Uh, I'm not really thinking about my next game after Fist of the Forgotten. I am going to cross that bridge when I get to it. I'm trying to stay as focused as I can 
on Fist of the Forgotten. I do note game ideas down every once in a while when they pop up. So I've got like a, a text file full of game ideas. So if I ever need to jump out and start a new game, I've got a handful of ideas there. But um, yeah, that's... I, I, I'm trying... It's it's very difficult, but I'm trying to kind of keep my blinders on and, and go forward and at least get Fist of the Forgotten done one way or another. But, um, yeah, I'm not trying to plan ahead. Basically, my next game is going to depend on how well Fist of the Forgotten does. So if it does really well, then I can do a larger project. If it doesn't do very well, I'll have to do probably a smaller project or um, go work for a bit or spend more time doing some contracting work or find some way to um, keep the lights on. And I think that's about it for our time here. Uh, you're super new to Game Jams, just attended your first GGJ. Cool. There are um, there are so many Game Jams. If you go to itch.io, there's lots of small Game Jams. Uh, um, the Global Game Jam is one of the biggest ones. Ludum DeRay is also a big one. Um, and there's also, like, if you just go to itch.io and, and there's, like, a Game Jam, like, calendar, and there it seems like there's about 100 Game Jams going on at any given moment. So you can kind of poke through there and see how many people are participating in them. And, um, yeah, knock yourself out. Have fun. <laughs> We still have um, a couple minutes if you wanted to go back to um, what you were showing on your screen and talk about that a little bit more. Um, sure. I guess I can talk a little bit about some, some wish list stuff. Um, let's see. This, so yeah, we'll just go through. Um, can't remember if there was anything. I was actually going to say here, kind of wanted to, yeah, so, so basically, um, <laughs> sorry, my brain just, my brain just like geared out for a second there. Um, I got to find a way to, to bump these wishlist numbers up. <laughs> the, the, the long and short of it is that, uh, there you know, sales and whatnot, even if I had more time with the Steam page up, like, the the numbers I was bringing in as far as wish lists, like, I, I feel like you want to have a good at least 10, ideally like 30,000 wish lists on a game to kind of feel pretty comfortable with it, uh, showing up on the new and trending and selling enough copies to be profitable. And I, I'm just like nowhere near that. I think I've got a bit over a thousand or so total on Fist of the Forgotten it's during this period. Um, past few months, I've only got about, you know, 300 or so. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, and it's it's something I've got to spend more time focusing on, and it's one of those things where I kind of go back and forth on um, should I go with a publisher or should I not? Like I look at so many different examples of games, 
And it feels like there have been so many successful games that have come out that didn't have a publisher. But then I look at how difficult it is to just get the wishlist numbers and stuff built up that I, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm actually putting together a pitch deck now um, to start pitching to some publishers to, you know, just sort of explore some options because with the amount of development time I have left on Fist of the Forgotten, at least what I expect to get it finished, I don't know that I'm going to have the runway to make it all the way there. And it seems like we'll see. I'll probably try to do another small project or two and see if any of those take off. Uh, but with Goop Loop, like I didn't even make back the amount of, you know, if I, if I calculate the time it took to build the game, I didn't even make that back. So that's not adding to my runway. That's actually taking away from my runway on Fist of the Forgotten. Uh, but one thing that does help is having a community. I'm actually making more money from things like donations and Twitch subscriptions and Patreon and stuff like that. I think I'm getting about $200 a month from that which is considerably more than I'm making in sales. And that's the thing that's kind of interesting. A lot of these indie devs uh, talk about, you know, their various sources of revenue. And I watched one video and somebody was getting less than, I think, 20 or 30% from game sales. They were getting things, you know, selling merch and grants and community support, all these things. Um, it's, it's really challenging because... Building a game just by itself is an obscene amount of work, and it's really difficult to do. And then it's like on top of that, you've got to do all this other stuff just to kind of make ends meet. So the life of an indie dev uh, can be pretty challenging. Cool. Well, I think... Um... Oh, yeah, we got... I don't know if we're going all the way till 10 o'clock or if this needs to be cut short. Thought we needed to be cut short about ten minutes early, but um, we can we can go. If anybody mind. has any other questions, feel free to throw them out. Um, I have not gotten my second payment yet from Valve, so even though the number here. Uh, 378 that's before they take their cuts so I got the one check for um, $128 so I feel like I should be getting another one soon but last month was not uh, enough to make the $100 threshold so still the actual cash in hand is $128.44 minus the $100 for the listing fee so yeah, enough for a nice dinner. <laughs> Collaboration and teamwork is an interesting uh, proposition. There's there's definitely benefit to doing that. You know, having people that have specific skills, and um, also they you know if you have multiple people working on a project, there's different audiences that they bring in. The challenge is. If you have two people working on a game, then you've got to split that revenue across two people. If you have more, like, 
your chance of success, it seems, kind of goes down. Then there's additional complications of, you know, making sure all your uh, potential legal issues are covered, making sure you've got good contracts written up and all the overhead of that. And then, you know, managing people and um, there's there's a lot of stuff uh, that I kind of don't want to deal with. I just I just want to, you know, focus on building the game and if it's all on me, then I don't have to worry about, you know, if some other person is able to eat or, um, like if you pay an artist or somebody to do work for you, uh, you'll see your funds drain very, very quickly. <laughs> so I'm mostly just trying to survive and, uh, build a game and hopefully it takes off at some point or maybe multiple games take off. I don't know. We will see. Only time will tell. All right. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's been an You're awesome uh, talk here. Uh, we appreciate you very much. Who do we got next? Let me look here. I'm not even on the page of who we got. You know what? We have someone special coming up next. Ooh. So let's see here. Do, do, do. I, I'm terrible. I should have had this up. And they're ready for us. So thank you so much, Nathan. Right. And, and uh, Pleasure uh, talking. We've got a full day of stuff here. Awesome. We'll enjoy your next speaker. Uh, we have monetization skills as motivation with Diego Ricciuti, and that's coming up right now. So thank you guys. Stick around, and cool. thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.